Sunday with Miriam on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by Supervalue Insurance. Offering sound advice for your car, home and travel insurance needs. Well, first this morning, tomorrow marks 30 years since the Shankill Road bombing in Belfast when two IRA men walked into Frizzell's fish shop with a bomb that exploded almost immediately. Nine people were killed that day. Here's how RT News reported it on the day. This is Roisin Duffy. The Shankill Road was crowded with the usual Saturday lunchtime shoppers. The bomb exploded without warning. It ripped through the fishmonger's shop and the building on either side. The shop is virtually demolished. Many passers-by were caught up in the blast. The emergency services were quickly on the scene. Minutes later, the bodies started to come out. Six people died instantly. The final death toll is nine, six female and three male. A fleet of ambulances ferried the injured continuously to three hospitals. There are children among the casualties. A number of the injured are said to be critical. Well, one of the casualties that day was Sharon McBride. She was just 29 and was married with a two-year-old daughter, Zoe. Sharon was a community health worker who helped her father in the fish shop at weekends. For the past 30 years, Sharon's husband, Alan McBride, has been engaged with peace building and with keeping her memory alive. Alan is a director of the Wave Trauma Centre in Belfast and he joins me now on the line. Good morning, Alan. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Miriam. Listen, I, can, I know it's not easy talking about this, but look, would you mind reminding me, Alan, where were you when you first heard that a bomb had gone off in your father-in-law's fish shop where your wife Sharon was working? I was actually out my bike with my daughter that particular day. We had a little uh, seat on the back of the bike and I dropped Sharon off to the shop that morning and then I'd driven over to Shaw's Bridge and then got the bike out and went for a a ride along the towpath, and it wasn't until I got back into the house, probably around, I would say, one thirty, quarter to two, that um, a friend called around to say that he'd heard on the news that there was a bomb uh, on the shankle. Uh, so I immediately tried to phone the shop. The, the The phone was ringing and ringing, so I, I thought that was good news because obviously, you know, I, I thought if you're getting a dialing tone, that meant that it was okay. Um, but nobody was picking up. So we went down then onto the shankle um, and car- parked the car just around the corner, uh, Berlin Street, and walked to the corner uh, where the shop would have been, and it was just, oh my goodness, it was like a scene from hell. I'll never forget it as long as I live. It was just, um, I mean, you've seen the scenes probably with the ambulances Mm. and the sirens and the smell, and everybody panicking and the noise, and oh my goodness, and and the shop just a pile of rubble. And when did you realise, Alan, that Sharon had lost her life? It was probably around about tea time, around five o'clock or so. Uh, the families were taken over to the, the Matter Hospital, which was um, probably about a mile away. And there was a room there set up for um, for families and we started to arrive. And one by one, those families were told, uh, you know, they, they actually come out and they, they were able to show the families some uh, items of, you know, personal items like rings and stuff like that to see if they uh, could identify. And, and we were the last family to be told. Um, so I, uh, they came out with a, a ring, and uh, which I recognised right away as being Sharon's, and they just told me that this, these were recovered from the, the from the body of a of a lady that was uh, found dead at the scene. So um, that's pretty much um, how my family were told. And then, of course, Alan, you had your beautiful little daughter, who was then two, Zoe. I mean, she was so young, but 
How did you explain to her or did you that her mummy wasn't coming home? Yeah, well, that actually happened the, the day after. My sister-in-law that I'm extremely close to, Beth, uh, I walked up to her house. Uh, I actually stayed in my mum's the, the night of the, the bomb and uh, Zoe had a cold and so she woke up in the morning and she was crying for her mummy and the tears were on down my face. So I, I remember leaving the house at about six o'clock in the morning and I walked up to, to Beth's house and, and then we both came down. And Sharon and I would have been, you know, churchgoers, would have been Christians. So Zoe, even though she was very young, would have been used to going to church and being in, you know, the, the little church groups and mm. stuff like that. So we just took Zoe and my knee and I just looked up. There's a sort of big photograph of Sharon and I on our wedding day in my mum's house. And I asked Zoe, who's that in the picture? And she says, that's mummy. And I just says, look, mummy's going to be with Jesus um, for, for a bit. And um, I suppose for a child, I mean, not really knowing or understanding the, the horror of everything, she just kind of accepted that. And, you know, I kind of grew up thinking actually that Zoe was OK and that and, and I think she is OK. I mean, I'm not saying that she's not, but, you know, sometimes you kind of think because Zoe doesn't really talk about it. Uh, and then so I then therefore didn't talk about it with her um, because any time we talked about it, she just changed the subject. And as she got older and I would have gone out to the grave, which I, I did quite regularly back then, uh, sometimes I would have uh, seen Zoe has actually made her own way out mm -hmm. and had actually left something uh, on the grave. And I just thought, you know, so whilst we uh, as a family don't talk about it in terms of me and Zoe, uh, she still grieves and she still, you know, she still does that. She still goes to the grave. I can remember the first day, actually, when I realised that, uh, you know, that, that she really was feeling this. And she was going to a birthday party that day and she'd got the little Tinkerbell makeup for children. She was probably about six years old at the time mm. and going to some uh, school party with some friends. And I always went to the assembly two or three times a week. So and, and the assembly was around the corner from where we were going. So I actually went there first and I left Zoe in the car as I went over and used to always say a wee prayer beside Sharon. And, you know, just sort of kiss the gravestone. You might think it's crazy, Miriam, but that's just, you know, nice. I just felt close to her there. And when I got back into the car, uh, Zoe's makeup had run all down her face because she'd been crying. And of course I took her and I tried to comfort her, but she just wouldn't talk about it. And you know, as she's older now and she's turned 30, uh, now she's 32, and uh, she's still very private. Um, still doesn't like to, like to chat too much about it. But And I've just realized that, you know, we both uh, grieve and we both, come to terms with things in her own way so um but yeah and of course she is therefore older now alan than her mum was when she died yeah and miriam in in the in the 30 years uh i can remember i think it was sometime around march time two years ago uh when she actually surpassed her mum by a day and that time and in fact the two years uh since have been probably the most difficult for me so people think, you know, the anniversary, the 23rd of October, I mean, it's the 23rd of October every year and those things come and go. The big things that really impact me are, you know, for example, when Zoe was older than her mum. Uh, and, I, and I just realised then just how young uh, Sharon was when she was killed, because I still see my little girl as a, as a child, even though she's a, she's a young woman and a, and a, and a very mm. fantastic young woman at that. Um, but for me, she's always my little girl. And I just realised just how young... Sharon was. Zoe now has her own child, Lila, was born um, just over a year ago. And that too was uh, well, it's a, a time of great joy, of course, but also a time of, of profound sadness in terms of, you know, that, um, that Sharon's not there. I mean, Sh Sharon lived for, for Zoe. Um, this, that would have been probably the happiest day of her life whenever uh, she brought a little grandchild into the world. And, and so the things, you know, and, I mean, I, it's been particularly difficult for me the last couple of years. I've been back in therapy again. Uh, my mental health hasn't been great. Um, you, know, you sort of think that you're, 
you're, you're getting on with things and I mean I've always tried to be very positive and, and, and very uh, constructive and, and, and very progressive in terms of you know but the last couple of years have been really 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 difficult um, and I think to be honest with you they're probably been more difficult for me by the fact that all the things that we were promised in the aftermath of the Shankle bomb you know the Good Friday Agreement and peace and prosperity and an end to all the violence and all of that mm -hmm. and while some of that has happened the fact that we don't have a functioning government at the minute is a, is a matter of profound sadness and I think that Sinn Féin and the DUP uh, because they collapse it continually should hang their heads in shame to be honest. Yeah that's so interesting Alan and you're Remarkable, though, because I've been privileged enough to interview you down the years a number of times and you are you are not bitter. You don't seem to have any feelings of hatred like so many families in the north on both sides who've lost people they adored. Where did you find that resilience? Was it through your faith? I mean, where did you find that? I think it was a mixture of, of, of a lot of things. I mean, definitely faith is is, is up there and is, is very important. Uh, I mean, initially, whenever the bomb happened, I couldn't go back to church for quite a while, actually. And it wasn't that I blamed God for what happened. I just couldn't be in a place where you were worshipping and singing praises when, to be honest with you, the, the, my whole world had just fallen apart. And you probably remember some of those times whenever I was the angry young man that was mm. going around uh, outside Dublin Airport and confronting Jerry Adams and, and doing all of that. Um, but I suppose really it was just as time moved on and I started to reflect upon my own upbringing. I mean, I grew up in a loyalist housing estate. My father was in the UDA. Uh, I had friends that I played football with who joined organisations and some of them were killed, some of them were imprisoned. So I kind of knew, knew what it was like to live in a society which was very sectarian. And I suspect that Sean Kelly and Thomas Begley, the two bombers, uh, had an upbringing that wasn't dissimilar from mine. And so I, I just realised, you know, that if we're going to bring peace to Northern Ireland, uh, we really have to deal with, uh, you know, with, with the root cause of sectarianism. And it's not, you know, that's not to say that those people have planted bombs and shot people aren't responsible for that. Of course they are. Um, but to build peace and to find a way through all this madness, uh, you had to bring a lot of more other people into the into the conversation. I mean, I can remember being in church, uh, Christian gospel meetings, and listening to sermons by uh, by clergy, Protestant clergy, that were very defamatory regarding uh, Catholicism and and all of that. So there's a lot of people, you know, with a lot of questions to answer here. So that, that's where I get my, my, my resilience from. That's where I get my, my, my hope from, is the fact that I know that we can do better. I, I know that we can we can have the society that we voted for back in 19... 98. I think we have been badly let down by the politicians, in particular the two main parties, in terms of moving us on. Uh, because at the end of the day, you know, does it really matter what flag flies over the country? Or, or that's all just politics. I mean, at the end of the day, most people just want to live. They want to live in peace. They want to, you know, they want to have their kids go to school. They want them to grow up. They want to be friends with others. You know, they they, they don't want to live in this uh, this society that has been divided for far too long, and it's still divided to this day. And so, whilst I voted yes in the Good Friday Agreement, and I. 25 years on from that, uh, the fact that we don't have that society makes it more difficult for people like I uh, to really heal because, I mean, I'll tell you, the last couple of years, Miriam, have been really, really difficult for me. Uh, in fact, actually, after this uh, 30th anniversary of the of the Shankle bomb, I've decided to, 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 to bow out of doing media and stuff like that, particularly around the Shankle bomb, because I just want to try to concentrate now and and with my daughter, with my granddaughter, and with my life just moving on. I've done it for 30 years. Um, I hope I've made a contribution to mm -hmm. peace building and to understanding. But as I say, the fact that we yet don't have the society that I voted for and that I dreamt about and that gave me hope back in 98 um, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a source of, of great sadness for me. 
Yeah, and just listen to him. And you've done all that remarkable work in the Wave Trauma Centre. And recently, actually, I interviewed um, a guy called Patrick Keelty. He now presents our Late Late Show here in the Republic. But his father was shot dead by loyalists. And like you, he is incredibly forgiving and thinks that people need to move ahead. And, you know, everyone has suffered. Everyone, as you say, wants the same things. But do you feel angry then that almost the political leaders have, let people like you down. I, I, I feel really angry, at Miriam, because uh, the majority of them have not suffered in the way that I have suffered. I mean, I would argue that there's probably nobody in Northern Ireland that hasn't known somebody that died in a conflict. But in terms of that very deep uh, personal loss, I mean, losing a wife, losing a, a father-in-law, my mother-in-law lost her child. I mean, you don't get any greater loss than that. Mm. Um, and, 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 and with all of that, you know, the fact that, 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 that many of us are able to look to the future and, and, and are wanting to um, to move on with our lives or wanting to, uh, you know, to be reconciled or wanting to live in peace, forget Brexit or Windsor Framework documents or all the other things that mm. politics seems to be about these days. Most people here just want to get on with their lives. I mean, when I look at the scenes now of what's going on in Gaza and in Palestine and what's happening in Ukraine, uh, I mean, we've come through that type of situation. Um, and in the aftermath of all of that, whilst the killing has stopped, mostly, the fact that the relationships are still as bad as ever in some regards, and they are because I work in the community, I, I, I see that, I see our politics. Um, I, I just wish we would just get back to to try and to deliver for people for the things that really matter. I mean, I live in East Belfast and I, I shop in East Belfast, I drink in East Belfast, I worship in East Belfast. Very few people even mentioned to me things like the protocol and the Windsor Framework document, apart, apart from a few hardline loyalists and unionists. So, you know, th there are some things more important. And for me, the most important thing is just living together, getting along with your neighbour and, and seeing the society prosper. But like you're so articulate as you express that there, Alan. And it's so sad in a way that someone like you you wouldn't dream of going into politics, would you, I suppose? Because, I mean, in a sense, you're the very kind of person Northern Ireland needs. But it's not for you, is it? No, you know, I have thought about it and I've flirted with it over, over the years. Um, uh, to be honest with you, I, I, I mean, and that's not to say, whilst I would criticise our politicians a lot, I also know that a lot of them go into, into politics with the very best of intentions to try and make the place a better place. I think when you get in there and you become part of a party and become part of a party machinery and you have to take certain party lines and all of that and, and, and there's agendas and all sorts of things going on and sadly, sadly, it is not about improving life for individuals and for citizens. That's that's what I'm about. That's, you know, if I was in politics, that's what I would be about. But I don't think that's what politics is about in this country. You know, it's, it's for, for us and for far too long, it's been about the flag that flies over the, the, the country. It's, 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 you know, it's, it's about all those kind of more sort of green and orange kind of issues. And for me, uh, that that is just, I mean, to be honest with you, Miriam, whilst I love this country and I've lived here all of my life, um, if I was, you know, leaving school today, I think I would consider a, a future away from here, to be honest with you. We are definitely not um, delivering for the people. We are definitely not delivering on the vision. And of all those people that really had the vision for a, for a better Northern Ireland, people like John Hume and, 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 and others that have now left mm. the stage, sadly, uh, you know, we need to get back to that vision and just try to start to deliver for, for the people here because it's not being delivered at the minute. And that does make you know, my, my situation more difficult to heal. It's, it's much more difficult to heal whenever, you know, you've got a society which is still largely divided. And, and as I say, the last couple of years for me 
have probably been the worst in, in my 30 year journey. Did that shock you that it had got worse again? Did you think that, you know, the cliche time, the great healer, did it come as a huge shock to yourself, Alan, that it did start getting bad again for you rather than better? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I suppose I'm not naive enough to think that, you know, I think people look at me and they, they, they see me up and talking and speaking and, you know, being reconciliatory and, and all of that. And I suppose you can make the mistake that actually he's doing OK, you know, but mm. the reality is that it, 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 it comes in waves and it comes and goes. And I mean, there are days when I'll be really, really good and really positive and really hopeful and wanting to live and love and laugh again. And then there's other days when I just could go to bed and could sleep for um, for a week, you know, just with with the whole weight of everything. Um, uh, and that's not just about the shankle bone, by the way. As I say, the shankle bone was definitely the catalyst. It's all those other things. It's 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 growing up without Sharon. It's Zoe not having her mum. It's, you know, Lila not having her grandmother. Um, it's all those reminders. I mean, my, my daughter uh, can only remember her mum through photographs. Do you know? I mean, mm-hmm. that's... And that's sad, and that and that's the cause of the troubles here that people often don't think about because there's a lot of spotlight, a lot of focus on victims and survivors at the time of the incident. Uh, but as time moves on, those people are forgotten about, and um, you know, and and they continue to hurt, and they continue uh, to, to to have bad days. So yes, I I suppose it shouldn't come as a shock as that, that that it's up and down, and that particularly at this moment in time, uh, I've been a bit low of late. Um, uh, but I I am. I mean, I'm I'm also trying to be a positive person as well and uh, I, I will never give up hope that this place can improve uh, and I hope I, I hope that it does. Well Alan you are a remarkable person um, it's always a privilege to talk to you and I hope that life from here on out goes just incredibly well for you and um, thank you for being a superb person and thank you for speaking to me today. Thank you Miriam thank you.